When is the last time you listened to a podcast about web development, web design, and small business and didn't fall asleep? Yes, we cover web development, web design, and small business, but like actual human beings with personalities. If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran. That's right, everybody. We are back, and this is episode 117. Wait, the Halo episode, Mike. Oh, God. Spartan 117. Yeah. I'm sure I should get the uh, the theme song. Do, do, do. The get we'd sued get immediately. Immediately sued. Just the first note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do. Season Done. desist. Yep. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's the Halo season, if you know what that means. Spartan 117. Master Chief himself. Anyway, enough of that nerdy stuff as we talk about web development. Title of this episode is Your Second Career as a Web Developer. I'm Matt, that's Mike, and this episode we'll be discussing switching careers to web development. And then on the web news, does the web suck in 2020? Now, if this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, go check us out on that Patreon, leave a review or rating on your podcast app, join us in our Discord server, or share it with your friends. And now it's time for our weekly pain points. So, Mike, please take it away. Okay, so weekly pain point this week is a new routine. Uh, I think I've talked about like trying different routines out over the past few weeks, few months on the podcast. Um, I think I've got one that that's working for me really well and uh, just been trying to adjust to it. So that's why it's kind of a pain point, but uh, it's, it's, it's been going pretty well. Like I wake up a little earlier than I usually do now. And I essentially spend the first like hour to an hour and a half of the day just doing my own stuff, either maybe it's playing a game, maybe it's just reading something, maybe it's doing some stuff for HTML, the things, just something outside of my regular contract work. Um, and that's really helped me kind of be more productive during the day because I get away, I get through all the like, you know, checking social media, checking my emails, looking at sales or looking at news and stuff like that right away, right, right at the start of my day. I, I don't wake up dreading work because I don't have to work right away. So it's something that I've never actually done before. Um, Usually, like my entire life, I would either wake up, go right to school, maybe have breakfast, and that's it, uh, or wake up, you know, get in the car, drive to work. That's been that's been my routine for my entire life, and that's kind of what I've stuck with all the, all up until now. But uh, I've been doing some reading and uh, like talking to people, and this is how a lot of people have tried, like you know, have adjusted and to stay sane, especially during COVID times. Um, and for now, it's working. Like I've been more productive. I get you know, I get more stuff done during my work hours. I get those peak those peak work hours out of the way really quickly. And then I can do my communication, my meetings. And I just feel better by the end of the day too. I try to cut myself off from work by like around 536 uh, with a little bit of leeway here and there. Um, and then just try to do other stuff as well. I try not to, I'm trying to pack as much efficient work as possible during work hours. And then as much non-work related stuff outside of work hours as I can, instead of doing this weird dance that I was doing before, where it was like work, work or work, do other stuff, work or work, do other stuff, work or work, do other stuff. And then my day would be expanded to like 8 p.m., 9 p.m. where I'd, I'd be working or finishing off work. So this has been working. It's been more like a standard routine, I guess. Um, and it's been helping me. But that's about it for me. What about you, Matt? Uh, so I got like 
uh, a bit of a weird one. So my pre weekly pain point is COVID is an aside now. Now that's not belittling the pandemic, but it is be it, the pandemic is belittled in my personal life. There is so much going on in terms of work and professional and a whole bunch of other stuff that it is like uh, going off the rails a little bit. Like, you shouldn't be worried about me or anything like that. Like, it's not that serious, but there's just a hell of a lot going on. Uh, dealing with a whole bunch of family stuff. Dealing with a whole bunch of other crap. There's a bunch of stressors, and it's just it's just a lot. There's a lot going on, uh, and it's just it's just a lot. <laughs> it's just, like, a lot going on. So, like, it, it, it's gotten so bad. The reason why I even put the whole COVID thing in is it's like, there's a pandemic, and, like, I... That's, like, an aside problem to me. I think it's an aside problem to a lot of people, uh right now and that's become a problem in itself like people have put it to the side so much that now there's a spike everywhere um and people aren't taking it seriously and people are just like saying screw it so now everything's spiking again so kind of sucks that it's an aside but i feel you like i have the same kind of feeling where it's just like you know you got to do what you got to do at this point like I, I have i have to work uh thankfully for us work doesn't really involve us going out and risking our lives like right. We can we can just work from home, so it doesn't. It really doesn't affect us that much compared to other people, especially. So that's why it's for me. That's why it's been more of an aside as well. Right. Yeah. Like I'm I'm more complaining about personal issues. I'm not gonna like get into on the air, but it's like so much stuff is happening in personal life and just work life is busy. Not that I'm complaining about whatever uh, or belittling anyone else's position, but like as just a general note, like it's crazy to me that this year is so nuts that a, a pandemic isn't on the forefront of my thoughts. Like that is the least likely thing I would ever assume to be on the back burner. Like if someone were to ask me today, like maybe I should phrase it like this. If someone asked me to like, what's going on today? And just like, just vent, just say everything. So you just like say it all, whatever. The end of my sentence would be like, oh yeah, <laughs> there's a pandemic. Like if you were talking to yourself a year from now, yeah. like that, that would be the thing where it's like you tell them all of the stuff that's shitty and then be like, oh, yeah, there's also a global pandemic. Yeah. And like not like, all of it's shitty. Some of it's just busy. Some yeah. of it's just like there's just stuff. There's just literally just stuff going on, right? All over the place. That's that's our number one issue. It's just there's just stuff happening. And it's like it's going to it's out of control. Like I'll say this. My daily routine now is. Wake up and don't, like, check my emails and stuff. It's literally wake up and triage the issues that have come in. Whether they are work, <laughs> personal, or other related, it's literally how we deal with things now. It's like, wake up, what went wrong? That's literally my first question. And that's not good, but that's what's happening. So, it's it's a little bit crazy. As I'm sure a bunch of other people are experiencing crazy things. It's just, it's a lot. It's a lot going on. Um, But anyway, all that personal family stuff aside... We got a uh, we got a show here to do, Mike. And what we're gonna be doing is I really want to do that Halo theme in between these freaking segments. But Don't do it! Damn it! Damn it! Um, we got three segments here loaded to the brim with some stuff. Now the first one's gonna be a really brief introduction as to what we mean by second career because there's different uh, there's different um, sort of interpretations of it, and there's different like uh, different ways to get into it. And I'll I'll get into that soon. And then the second segment is going to be you know, choose your path. So basically, uh, what path can you take in your second career in general? And then the third segment is going to be, you know, getting into it. Oh, actually there's four segments. And then there's going to be some just sort of like footnotes, if you will. And then of course our web news. So not to delay any further, let's get right into it. So 
Introduction. So, uh, a first career, if you will, and this is a quote, and I'll say the reference in a minute, but a first career uh, refers to the longest job held in the last five years. Therefore, a second career refers to any job that is different from the job regularly held in the last five years. Now, this is a direct quote from the Metro College of Technology, metroc.ca. I'll have a link, of course, to the reference. Um... But I just kind of wanted to, like, lay the groundwork of, like, that's officially what a second career is. So, technically, you could do something for five years, switch, do something for five years, do something... You know what I mean? It's not, you're not, like, limited in whatever. Um, and there's a whole bunch of government, like, pr- programs often, not always, kind of involved with this. So, various criteria, various changes per... per uh, you know, as per where you live, quite literally. Sometimes they won't even have it. But in general, you know second career programs from governments generally are helping people transition into a second career, usually due to something like a layoff. So if you were a machine operator for years and years and years and years and years, you get laid off and now you're maybe going to do something else that's not machine operator. And this this is especially helpful if you're a person that's worked for 20 years, but you needed 30 to retire or something. And that whole industry is just like ruined because it's out of date now. The government will help you if there's a program available kind of switch. So the reason why I brought all this into play is not to get political or anything like that. The whole point is, is, you know, when we say second career in this podcast, we're talking about it in its most basic form. Basically, we are uh, basically, and this is sort of the scenario that we imagine in our head. Basically, you are or were, okay, working in a career other than a web developer and you want to transition over to web development for whatever reason, whether you see an impending layoff, whether you just want to change things up, that's our definition in this episode of a second career. Closely related to the sort of official one, but I'm not going to get into like, oh, I was working for five years in this industry, switched to this for 10, and I'm switching again, is that a second? Like, I'm not getting into that. I'm just talking about you transitioning from your quote-unquote main career now to web developer or web development in general, because there's a bunch of rules. Anyway. Now, I do want to state also that this is not an in-depth guide on getting into the industry, but this should, you know, serve as a pretty good starting point as of the recording, and this is recorded in late 2020 for any future listeners out there. Okay, so it's like I said, it's a rough overview. Anyway, segment number two, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Choose your path. So, when looking to get into web development, there's a variety of paths that you can take. Some can even be unique combinations of career paths, okay, but in general, like, some of the most common ones are going to be listed here and I'm going to go through them. So just to sort of sum them up, there's freelancer, employee, side hustle, hobbyist, and self-starter. These are titles that I've mostly made up, although a lot of them are obviously industry standard and very common. And these are things that, like I said, we invented and there's probably a bunch of different ones where you could be a self-starter that's also a hobbyist and blah, 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 whatever, right? These are just general notes. So freelancer, okay? Pretty straightforward, pretty common term in this industry. You know, you work for yourself, you find your own clients, you make your own hours, and this is usually preferred by people that are, like, naturally themselves self-starters. And yes, I know I mentioned self-starter, I'll get into that a bit. So you're either usually a self-starter or an or you're entrepreneurial in nature. So that's kind of what Mike and I are, although we're growing into sort of a fully blown agency with Digital Dynasty Design, so... You know, we kind of advertise ourselves as an agency because we technically are, but we act still like freelancers. Freelancers, are, in our experience, is a little more scrappy, a little bit more worrying about each individual sort of client and trying to gain a, a client base where as agency, roughly in my mind, is sort of more of like, 
you have a structure of people, you have like a team of people and then like they tackle the problems whereas freelance is a little more scrappy. Uh, so we're kind of growing into that. So freelancers can easily kind of move into whatever. Uh, if you also, want, if you, oh, no, hmm? just let me jump in here for freelancer. If you want a really sporadic schedule, this is your thing because uh, it's all over the place. Um, we've done freelancing. We've done kind of contract work. And depending on, you know, what part of the country you're in, you could be talking to people from a different part of the country. Uh, you can be, you know, some people have freelancer freelancer projects that are side hustles for other people. So they need to talk to them after work. So you've got to be pretty flexible to be a freelancer, to be a successful freelancer, at least when you're starting out. Maybe later on when you become more in demand, you can kind of set your own hours and set more uh, conventional stuff and, you know, reject clients that you don't want to work with that are, you know, using using different hours that you you're not going to be using. But initially, you better be ready to uh, <laughs> to be scrappy, like Matt said, and to be sporadic with your work and your communication. Yeah, exactly. I think that's the difference is like an agency would say something like we're open nine to five in general. And again, all these are just generalities, but it'll be like, I'm open nine to five. And so the person has to call you within nine to five. Whereas like a freelancer, it's like you're sort of just sort of injecting yourself as a part of their team or you're becoming their whole web team, depending on the scale. And then you're just sort of like, you know, doing a job and then leaving. So it's sort of like a little bit like the gig economy, kind of a little bit. Uh, but like oftentimes with web development work, they'll kind of bring you on or they'll pay you per month for you to stay around. So then it's a little bit different than a gig, obviously, but you, you sort of get the idea. It's rapid, agile, all over the place. That's generally what freelancing is about. Um, next one is also very obvious. <clears throat> so one of your paths could just be to just become an employee, right? So you work for a web agency on a salary, on commission, on whatever compensation agreement you've agreed to. And this is more or less like a regular, like quote unquote, regular job just in web development itself, right? So you're, like I said, this is about second careers. So you're doing whatever you're being a carpenter by day, you're getting sick of that, whatever. And then you transition into working for someone else in a web agency. You don't own the business. You're not messing around with all any of that stuff. You're just, instead of waking up and doing carpentry, you're waking up and doing web development. So just sort of like a quote unquote standard or regular path, if you will. Uh, next one, uh, and these next two actually have an asterisk, so I just want to warn you on that. So, uh, side hustle, side hustle asterisk. Um, so some people get into web development as a side hustle without ever wanting it to grow into something more. And there are people out there that do a day job that just doesn't pay enough, for example, right? Just doesn't pay the bills fully, but it's their passion. Let's say they just love their day job. So something that they can do at home on the side, like make websites is very appealing due to the flexible hours and decent compensation once you've built up enough of a client base. Now, like I said, there's an asterisk here because you might be like, well, do you really want to, you know, is it is it a second career to get into a side hustle? And I'll explain that in a minute. The next one, which is very closely related, is hobbyist. Another asterisk there as well. Same reason, and I'll, like I said, I'll explain that. So similar to a side hustle, except this is more or less for you, right? So you take on the odd client here and there and, you know, just because you really like web development and you want to make cool projects. But the fact that you don't rely on web development as a full-time income means that you're able to take it easy. You can pick and choose projects that you want to do and whether you like the hours or like the people or like the project itself, you're able to just sort of pick and choose and take it easy because you already have a full-time income that is paying your bills. And you're just doing this maybe for extra money or just for, well, it was in, specifically in the case of the hobbyist, you're doing this for you. You want the cool projects in your name out there. Basically, you want to be a part of these cool projects that are being out there. Now, you might say like, you know, second career as a side hustle or second career as a hobby is like, what's going on here? And that's where the asterisk sort of note comes in. And that is that the reason 
you know, that something like these two, side hustle and hobbyist, can be considered second career to us is because some people could be, let's say, retired, their primary income being a pension from that job that they were working, right? And that, and now a side, now it is just a side hustle or a hobby for them to pass the time and make a little extra cash. So to me, it's sort of like, you know, you're a welder or something. I don't know. You're a welder. You welded your whole life. You now retire. Your pension's paying all your bills, but you really wanted to get into tech for whatever reason. So you decided to, now you're, now you're retired. So you want to take it easy, but you also want to try new things. This might become a side hustle for you where you're like, man, I can buy a new car if I do this or whatever. That's more side hustle. Or you might be like, man, it'd be really cool to build out my friend's welding websites now or something, right? So that might be a hobbyist where you're just sort of like playing with the code and stuff like that. And it's just to make a little extra cash. That's why it's sort of, that's why I mentioned it's second career because a lot of people do look for something to do when they've retired. And like, you know, a Walmart greeter, for example, is commonly like associated with like a second, not a, not a second career, let's say, but something a retired person would do. And I think that at home, uh, at home jobs is going to become very common. Maybe it already is. I don't have demographics or numbers in front of me, but I do believe that at home careers are going to become very common for retired folks because people like us, our age, I mean, we grew up with tech and we grew up with the internet. So it's not totally foreign to be like, oh, I can just work on this computer, right? It's not completely new to us. We kind of grew up with it and that type of thing. And that's not saying people who are older can't adapt. You know, people retiring now that have been around for years and years and years in their careers, they can adapt too, of course. But I just think it's going to become more common for people that grew up with tech, grew up with the internet and grew up with sort of like this big communication network, if you will, that type of thing. So just to add to that, um, the other thing that these side hustles and hobbyists can can do for a second career maybe is show your interest, right? So you if if you take take it on as a side hustle or as a hobbyist, it shows that you have the interest in it. And if you can complete a project, if you can complete a website that shows you have passion, interest, knowledge, um, and maybe that project or website that you complete becomes something. And maybe that something that you could make is maybe something for yourself. So um that can become, it can could turn into a, a second career. And I think I'll, I'll pass it over to Matt to talk about how it can I, like a side hustle and a hobbyist can transition to the last topic here that he wants to talk about, which is a self-starter. Right. So I've kind of like labeled self-starter aside because it's a little bit different. So, okay. Entrepreneurial types and passionate people sometimes, right? Find themselves getting into web development as a means to an end, right? For their own gain even sometimes, right? So for example, let's just say, Let's say you just love bowling, but you just hate, you hate the software that the bowling lanes use. For whatever reason, you're like, this is horrible. You know, this ruins the experience. This is my hobby and I really like, uh, you know, bowling and what the hell is going on here, right? So you might do your research, do whatever and find and say, you know what? A web app would be perfect. These little terminals can run it and blah, 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 blah. A web app would be perfect to run these lanes. So you might learn web development just solely to build the app. And now you've, like, without even really realizing it, you've learned the skill of web development, right? And then that web app, that bowling, that bowling lane, whatever web app software that you've built can become a full business if people really like it. Or even just a side gig if you're selling it to, like, the bowling alley you worked at or something, right? So you've you've essentially started a business for yourself, but you've also become a web developer in that. And that's sort of something interesting. And that happens with a lot of small businesses where you're wearing all these hats, you're running around, you're doing all this stuff. And you can you kind of become a manager even though you're not managing people, if that makes sense. 
Maybe you're delegating tasks out to contractors or whatever, and you're effectively becoming a manager and you don't realize you've learned all these managerial skills. And then you look back and you're like, damn, like I actually know a whole bunch of stuff. And this actually happens quite a bit. If you go and you talk to other people in your industry where some of them, let's say they're, they're like just a, just an employee at like an agency and they just like, it's a big agency. So they just touch a piece of the code. They don't know any of the entrepreneurial stuff that you do, but you, you know, you know all this stuff. So these hidden skills kind of, you know, just happen. And web development is one of these things because web development results in a bunch of different things. A bowling app, like I just said, right? The bowling web app. God knows what else. Messaging apps, you know, email apps, this and that and this and that. It results in so much that some people might be like, you know what? I hate this email service. I'm building a new one. And then little do they know they learn server admin and web development, right? And then that becomes, because they were passionate, maybe it grows to be something big. Maybe they just become a hobbyist web developer where they're like, oh, I know, I know how to make websites. I'll just build them on the side. Maybe it becomes that side hustle, whatever, right? So the projects that you work on are for your passion as a self-starter in, in, in this sort of my definition of it. And in this case, it's the bowling, right? The, bo- the passion for bowling led you to be like, that's it. I'm building this new software. You learned web development. You built it out. And that's exactly what happened. So obviously that's a fake scenario, but like that's exactly what would have happened in this scenario. And this, this does happen. There are people out there like Mike and I have seen, and it's not like super common that it's super successful to be clear. Like you just, cause you built some random software and no one's going to come running to the gates, right? Unless it goes viral or whatever. But we have seen people like Mike and I've seen people where they, they do give like a valiant attempt and then they end up calling us in. Like they're like, I really hated whatever thing. I really wanted this site to look good, but it just looks like crap. Can you help me like realign all this stuff? And then we come in, we like kind of like fix it up for them type of thing. And that does happen is because they, they were a self-starter. They downloaded WordPress. They didn't know what they were doing and they started ripping into it and putting themes and blah, 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 blah. Now they need help because they reached a point in which they can't do it. Right. And some people will refuse to give up or like just really, really want to figure it out or they just figure it out and then they rip into it and then they just go ham and now they learn web development just as an aside right? It's sort of like, if you think about it, it's sort of like I learned a driving and driving enhances my job because I can go different places, but I didn't, I'm not a professional driver, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I, I want to kind of drive that home a little bit, that passion to, to do something. And I think that's one of the most important things and some of the things that people are missing. So we, we talked to a lot of people that are just starting up web development. And I've noticed that, um, and you'll, you'll talk about this later, Matt, but I've noticed that a lot of people get stuck in this thing called tutorial hell, and we've had episodes on it. Uh, and I think that's because they don't have that passion project. Like, yes, they have the projects that they're doing for their courses. Yes, they have some little websites that they've created, but they don't have anything that like drives them. What, what the stuff that's projected me the most in my career is stuff that I've been passionate about, whether it be a client's project or whether it be our own, like Matt and I created a game, like a, that was a really good passion project and we challenged ourselves to do it in a really short amount of time. And we kind of sat in a bait in my basement with it, with a designer and we just created a game and I had to figure out like, you know, how do you, how do you save on exit of a website? How do you, uh, you know, add a bunch of numbers together when you're clicking? How do you like open up, open up and unlock stuff. And every one of those problems, I was like, okay, I don't know how to do this now, but I can figure this out. And I would just sit there and figure it out because I was passionate about it. And that's kind of how I personally like to learn web development. And that's what I want to talk about in the next segment here, segment number three, getting into it. 
So there's many different ways you can learn web development if you've just decided that this is the career you want to go down. And I've been asked, like, we get asked this so many times. There's not really one good answer. And for everyone, like, education in general is such a personalized thing that it's really tough to be like, hey, this is the, what worked for me. This will work for you 100%. It's just not going to happen. You have to know what works for you. And that's one of the that's one of the challenges of the education system right now, right? Like trying to figure out how to learn. And when you figure that out, then you can kind of get through it pretty easily. But if you don't figure it out, then you're kind of screwed and you ch- like you have to struggle through. Uh, so first off right here is traditional education. So there's a few like positives about it. So traditional education can be anything from a college or a university or something like that, like a a, a formal educational course, essentially. So it can be a software engineering degree. It could be a computer science degree. It can be, you know, I don't know if the colleges, I believe, start are starting to offer web development degrees like full on. Um, but it can be something like uh, computer science, whatever. Like it, it can be anything that that gives you an open door to become a developer of some sorts. And there's a lot of positive of this. And I think one of the main positives from a university-based education where you have to spend like four years or three years or whatever in it is the fact that you're going to be getting to know a lot of like-minded people and you're going to grow your network. You're going to all graduate either at the same time or staggered, whatever, it doesn't matter. But when they graduate, they're going to find jobs. And what's going to help you in the future is when you're looking for a new job, when you're looking for your first job, you can go out there and contact your network and be like, hey, I'm looking for a job and they'll help you out most likely. And that's why like one of the things that I want to instill in people is when you're in university, when you're in college, get to know the people around you. Like treat it as part, like, as part of the classes. There's a lot of people that I've noticed in universities and myself included when I first got got there where I would just kind of just do the work and think that the whole goal of the university experience is to just, you know, get your degree and get out and get a job. That's complete. That's like throwing away all your money. Essentially, if you're just going into university, getting your, getting your degree, you're leaving half of the value of it on the table. You need to get out there and get to know people around you get get in a good group like go to study sessions go you know do everything that you can to know the people around you and help them and help let them help you grow as you grow through the through the program so that's that's one big positive of traditional education the other stuff that you get is like learning concepts that are kind of advanced like algorithms data structures ai machine learning not stuff this is stuff you could you could learn on your own but it's a little bit easier in like a, a classroom based setting because it's a, it's really complicated and you're getting taught by someone that's knows this stuff inside and out so you can ask them questions really easily rather than having to go out and learn it on yourself um, and then learning multiple different topics as well. Like in a lot, most of the time in university, you have electives, uh, you have courses that you can take on the side. So you can do a little bit of business. If you're more entrepreneurial, you can do a little bit of science courses, like just widening your horizon, engineering, whatever you can widen your horizon, have a little bit more aspect into the world, because as you'll learn in the web development field, it's not just about knowing how to do web development. It's about knowing like 15 different things. Like if you're a specialized if you're a web developer that's really good, uh, like Matt, you brought up welding. Let's say you were a welder before and you're a web developer. Well, there's a lot of welders out there that are like doing it on the side or something like that. They all need websites. And if you know them, you know what kind of websites they need. And that's a skill that you can bring fully from your other job and build them a website that a, that a welder would need. Or maybe you can build a company uh, from or like an app that, you know, finds welders or something like that. Like you, there's so many different variations of the stuff that you know and bring and you can bring into the web development industry. So it's important to kind of diversify your 
your education. Make sure that you know, not, like, not just programming. You want to know a little bit about everything else. Well, I actually want to say one thing, too, is, like, we've all had that one, like, really challenging class, let's say, and in high school, whatever. And then we've all had, like, like a test in that class that, like, went super smoothly. And one of the things, from my personal experience, is math. So math in high school was, like, I fucking hated it, to be blunt. Um, absolutely hated it. And it it was one of those courses where it was like show up, read the, like read the notes, write the notes, whatever from the board, go and answer the questions that I was told to answer in the textbook at home for like two three hours or longer, and then that's it, right? Like that's math to me. But the math tests that I did the best at because I wasn't too bad at it, but it's just like by the time it got to like grade twelve, it's just like it's advanced and it's like it's really annoying. Like it's you know you don't want to do it, you're fatigued. Um, basically. The the test I did the best at was when I understood the concept we were doing. And when you're talking about growing your network and like, you know, kind of talking to people and like learning a little extra, like it really drove that home because all those other units, I did all my homework. I wasn't screwing around. You know, I was answering all my questions. I was writing all the notes, but I didn't know what was happening. And I know that that's a little bit different than what you were saying, but I think the concept is still there and the concept is still clear. And that is that if you're just going through the motions, right, of of math class, at least this is my experience, then you don't know what the hell you just did. I don't know what the hell I just did in a lot of in a lot of my experiences. And as a result, like in high school, there were some tests I did pretty bad at or really struggled through but did okay, right? When I knew what was actually happening, like what I was doing in the formulas, like what those formulas meant, what the what this meant and what that meant and whatever. When I figured out what all the stuff meant, then everything came together because I looked at a question and I knew we were like determining the length of something or whatever we were doing. And then I was able to actually apply that to questions that I would struggle with. So you're able to get a bigger experience out of it, right? Out of math. Because if you think about it, math, at least here in Canada, or at least when we were in school, is knowledge and understanding, which is like your basic questions, like do this and do this and do it and do it and do it, like just do the same questions over and over and over again for repetition. Then you have your application, which is like, Tommy rides a train and it's 4 p.m., those type of questions, right? And then you have your thinking and inquiry, and I think there might be another one, whatever. Those three main ones in my brain, I actually, there is definitely a new one. I think it's communication. Doesn't matter. Point of the matter is these three. Knowledge and whatever you can probably rip through because you've ripped through questions and questions and questions and questions all the time, all the time, questions. Second one, you might get stuck if you don't know where those numbers go. And it's because you do not know where, like, what you were doing, right? And think an inquiry, over. Like, so many times over. Look at it, don't know, hand it in. Like, that's literally, literally to that degree, except for the times I knew it was going on. So it's the same thing with college where... If you get that enhanced experience, if you kind of go into it, you don't have to go ham. You don't have to go to every study group or every tutorial or whatever. Like sometimes you're just like, no, the hell with this. And sometimes you just need to get through it. If you're a person that works a lot and stuff, you just have to get through it. And that's fine too. But that enhanced, whatever you want to call it, that enhanced experience allows you to understand it better, allows you to push yourself into it better. Like we got super interested in embedded programming. In the last semester, or maybe it was near the last semester, it was late in our college days. And, like, to this day, uh, like, if I see a problem, like, an embedded 
like solution sometimes just comes to mind and I don't build it out with circuits and that, but it's still something that is there. But if I didn't get that enhanced, like I really want to solve these problems, then I would just be, I would have just got, went to it, got my 80 or whatever, walked away. Right. That's the, that's the big difference is the enhanced experience gives you more than just you filling out the check mark. And it's the stuff you remember. We did Laplace, like I don't care, we did Laplace and all this crazy math stuff, and I've said this in the chat, I don't know what we were doing. If I'm being totally blunt, maybe I'm an idiot, I don't know, but I legitimately, legitimately do not know what we were doing. I don't know what we're doing. I don't remember ever, and it could be my memory to be clear, it's been years, I do not remember a time in which we were told what we were doing. I don't, I don't know what Laplace is. I don't know what a trigonometric identity is, but I could probably do it on paper, but I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is legitimately. And that might make me dumb, but I think that the experience is the same for a lot of people in class where it's like university said I needed this level of math or whatever. So you go, you do it, you get it out, you're done. But computer programming, I remember a bunch of my, even my high school computer programming stuff because I was invested in it. The math out the window. But if I had been invested in the whole math, it would have done way better. So it's just it's just that thing. You kind of put more in, you get more out. It's that sort of traditional mentality, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, and it's important where to where to put it. I I, I think it's important like what, what you mentioned, then don't phone it in. Um and again, it's like this is kind of from experience, guys. Like we we did it. Like I phoned in many courses. And I like my excuse to myself was like, I just want, I need to get this done. That's Networking. it. <clears throat> like. no, yeah. Like, and there's a lot of times <laughs> where like, it, you know, you, if you have a full plate, you have a full plate, you're going to be phoning in some stuff and you got to balance that. And that's real life as well. Like that's a real life example because it, during work, you're going to be phoning in some sections of your work because you just have so many other things to, to do, but you need to be invested in something. You need to be in, like, you can't phone in the whole experience. That's my point. You don't want to just go to university, do the classes, get your grades and leave. And that's it. That's your only goal. Your goal in university is not to, you know, get 100% grades. We're talking strictly web development here because it's not going to help you that much. It's not to get 100% in every class. Your goal in university is to get that network, understand the concepts that you need to understand and, you know, get your passion. Find, find what you're passionate about. Take take different classes, take different concepts, like talk to your professors, do whatever the heck you can to find that passion. Because after university, that's what's going to drive you. And like I said before, passion, all that stuff, that's that's the stuff that's going to get you someplace. Because if you're not passionate about it, you're just not going to do it. You're going to phone it in. And the thing is, is like we're talking about second careers here. Like if you're not passionate about web development, you really hate it. Um, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? This is your second career. Now maybe you're stuck, whatever, right? I'm not judging anyone like that. But like if you're, if you are legitimately choosing a second career and you hate web development, that's one thing. If you're, if you really want to make that bowling app, like that example earlier in the episode, you really want to make that bowling app, you hate web development, but that's the means to the end. Then it's a little more reasonable. It's like, well, you hate building it, but you really want that bull, that bowling app. It's different, right? But if you're phoning it in already, it's, it's over. I was yeah. told a piece of advice from a random, I think I said this before, a random bearded man, and I can't remember his name from college, and I remember I went to an interview for a co-op, and I did a bunch of these interviews with a bunch of different companies, and I can't even remember which one it was, to be totally blunt, but I remember it was bullshit, it was fucking weird, like I, it was, 
not to swear a lot, but like it was a weird interview, very strange. Uh, not the same. It was this. I can't even say it was the same industry. Like it was very like, I don't know. It was weird. It was a weird place. Weird, weird thing. Anyway. And I remember, you know, just talking to this guy cause he was, he just sat in front of me in lab and I just would chat with him sometimes. I can't remember the guy's name. And he told me, he said, one of the things is, and I, he said, if it's going to be BS in the beginning, he said, it's going to be BS for the whole time. He's like, if you are, if you are already picking up on more than like new people BS, you know, like some people are just nervous. So like, that's just nerves. If you're picking up like actual weird BS, then it is going to be BS throughout the whole, throughout the whole time. And that like, that stuck with me. I don't know why that, like that particular piece of advice stuck with me, but I actually treat a lot of like situations like that. If I show up, and it's BS right from the get-go. You get a write-off from me. If I have to be there, I'm just gonna. I'm, it's just gonna be a written-off experience, because it was BS from the beginning. And that's that. That's maybe that's too absolutist or something, but it has helped me. There's been times where I get into a situation and it's you know you kind of like that that squinty eye look. You write yourself. You're like, hmm, I don't yep. really know about this. And you get that intuition where you're like, I'm getting out of here. It's like that. It's sort of like that, but just in a more professional setting, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I've definitely had those experiences and bullshit detector went off really quickly, especially when you're talking to people that are trying to like get you to do something for them or a lot of our clients, like some clients that we talk to sometimes or potential clients, maybe not like not actual clients, sorry, potential clients where they'll come up and be like, have this great idea. And at the end, they're like, well, and when we get down to the brass tacks, the money of it, as soon as the as soon as as soon as something gets said that's like implying that we're gonna be partnering, that's when my bullshit detector goes off like crazy. So stuff like that. And I think that's important to know if you're gonna be taking this as your second career, actually, is those experiences that you have with people. And if it's a second career, you probably already had a lot of experiences in your first career, you can use that knowledge of how of how you've learned to talk to people, of how you learn to communicate, use that knowledge for web development because it's the same. A lot of the time you're going to be talking to people just like yourself in your first career uh, and that's going to help you come from a place of like come from their own place. So it's going to help you with those communications. And again, you can use your your first career's contacts to get into web development. That's totally a viable option to get into it. I don't even have it on my segment number three getting into it, but that, that's that's kind of a, a next step. Like once you have the knowledge to do web development, reach out to your previous careers connections and see if they need help with any web development stuff. Um, yeah, but, yeah, Mike and I, yeah, Mike and I talk about our previous IT stuff all the time. We pull from it all the time. I used one of my IT things this morning and actually sold us for a potential job this morning. It is it is vital that your previous experiences are used. Don't just say that's that's in the past, that's in the past, just get rid of it. Don't dwell on it or whatever, of course. But like <clears throat> excuse me, I'm trying to cough and sneeze all at the same time here. But it, like when your other experiences meld, let them meld. If you you might be a welder that became a boss and you know logistics like crazy. You know how to deal with people. They're all over the place. You might be an excellent IT, web dev, whatever manager because you know people and the logistics. That is why, for example, there are non-technical managers. They may have been in a candy factory for all you know and then went to go manage you, a technical person. 
but it's the people management that the company that you're working for was after for the management position. It's because experiences lend themselves to each other. Rapid problem solving is is a skill that is actually generic. If you if you really think of it, most people think no no it's because I've been in this career for ten years so I know how to problem solve. It's like no no no. You look around to your colleagues and you say could you could they have jerry rigged whatever problem together to get this to work? And most of them will probably be no. Most people actually have trouble jerry rigging things together. That's actually one of my skills. I can jerry rig some crap together last minute. I jerry rigged a weird file system thing earlier this morning, actually. So like some weird file download button I had to jerry rig. But like regardless of which, that is, I know how to jerry rig things together. That is a skill I have. And yes, I wouldn't be able to jerry rig if I suddenly became a a farmer. I don't know. I wouldn't be able to jerry-rig yet because I don't know the tools of the trade. But once I learn all the pieces, like this is the tractor, this is how long we do this, this is the fertilizer, this is the soil we need to plant in this thing. I know at that point, once I know the tools, now I can use my jerry-rigging skills with those different tools. So jerry-rigging yeah. and those type of things is a skill. Yeah. And speaking of those skills, uh, a great way to learn like a really central, like a great way to learn a topic really well and efficiently is a boot camp from like we haven't taken any boot camps just just uh like a, a little bit of an aside but we've talked to many people that have taken boot camps i've looked at boot camps i know what they teach um and from from if you find a good boot camp with good instructors you can learn web development start to finish like how to build a project start to finish full stack or even half stack whatever boot camp you find uh and be a productive member of a team in a matter of like months. Now, there are some negatives of this because you're not getting that broad range of uh, experiences. You're only you're only learning web development and how to be a productive member of a web development team. And that's it. Uh, you're not getting any other like concept uh, programming concepts. You're not understanding how algorithms work. You're not understanding data structures. You're not understanding AI. You're not understanding machine learning. You're not understanding the the central concepts of programming but you are understanding how to get this website live from start to finish or get this this web project live from start to finish and that is a valuable skill a lot of web agencies are looking for people that can get a project up and running that can take a piece of a project and finish it that can uh style this page that can, like it, there's a many many different things that web agencies are looking for to make make their process more efficient and I think a boot camp is definitely a viable option to like jumpstart your develop your second career as a web developer. We don't have any recommendations for boot camps. We don't partner with any of them. We've never taken one, but from the experiences that we've had with other boot with other developers that have been through boot camps, they're definitely able to contribute to a team. Um, current, I think there's two web developers that have been to the boot camps that I'm currently managing right now. Uh, they yeah they've they've shown themselves very at like very capable of not only doing the skills that they learned in the boot camp but learning other skills as well because it also gives you that ability to self-learn a little bit and be able to self-problem solve and stuff like that now again it's different it's a different type of employee that you're going to be getting in a boot camp and you're going to be becoming a different type of employee but it's definitely something you can build a base out of that's what i think an important aspect of it is because you have those skills now now you can now you can go in and learn some stuff on your own and again that kind of goes right into my next one which is self-learning and self-learning can be done many different ways you can take online courses 
free coat camp. There's free ones, Udemy. There's a little bit of like money involved in that. You can take those courses. You can get certificates. You can go through, go through, do the projects there, put them in your portfolio, which is another thing that I'm going to talk about. There's other stuff like project-based learning. This is the stuff that I promote the most because again, for me, and this is not going to work for everyone, but for me, I need to be passionate about something. And if I'm passionate about something, I'll be learning nonstop. Like I'll be like, you know, lying in bed thinking about how to solve the next problem. And I'll be Googling like, oh, how do I, you know, put these variables in this place when I need them over here? Like I'll, I'll be doing stuff like that because I'm passionate about it. Uh, And that's why I think finding that passionate passion project, whether it be something that you intend to make money on or not, um, is a really good way for you to, again, jumpstart your web development career because, First of all, you'll be completing a project from start to finish. And while you're doing that, you're going to realize that, hey, I need to learn how the back end works. And you're going to take a course on back end or you're going to watch a YouTube video or you're going to look at a tutorial or you might go to a boot camp because you need to learn very effectively how a back end works. Like you're going to find you're going to find that that drives you to, to all these different methods and all these different ways of learning. And it's going to help you uh, like round yourself out as a developer. And again, this is something that's going to be very personalized to you. Like you might be a more traditional learner or whatever, but for me, that's how it worked for me. I needed that passion. And whenever I had that passion project, I was learning like crazy. Last thing here is a portfolio. So a portfolio is again, it, it, it's, it's a way for you to build out a lot of different projects. So you, uh, in a portfolio, you would take like a CRUD project. So a project that creates, updates, deletes, edits, a, a, a certain a set, a set of files and then you can display them. Like it's a, like a to-do list. That's a great portfolio project. You would take like a website, a regular website, you know, three columns, a, a hero, stuff like that. You create a, a, a regular website. Then you would do like a calculator and then you would do like a little game and you create a portfolio of the stuff that you built yourself. And it's really like, this is a really important piece because when you go to an interview or when you're applying for an interview, it shows them not only that you can build the stuff, but how you build it. If you're going to fit in the team, like, because if you look at their code and their code is all, your code is all janky or your code is all, um, it's not labeled properly. Like you're using weird variables. You're not going to bring, bring them in your team. But if you take the time into making your code look nice, you're using somewhat best practice. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, but you're using best practices, you're using some newer technologies, it's going to show them that you're capable, like you have a bunch of skills. And not only that, it looks like you've learned this yourself, or like you, you, you've you taken a bunch of knowledge and applied it into a really important, and really interesting piece of technology. So that's something that we can use right away. Like that's something we can, I can take and be like, oh, look, this person knows how to update a web page when he gets an, uh, a response from an API. I can tell him immediately to go into this app that we're creating and you know update our web page based on this API. He can be a, a productive member of our team right away. Now, is he expected to be a, a full productive member right away? No, because you're going to teach him as you go along. But having those little tidbits of knowledge in your portfolio is really important to be forgetting the interview and forgetting the job. So last thing I want to mention here is that I'm not saying go and do one of these things and that's it. A lot of the times it's going to take multiple of these things. So if you're self-learning uh, or you're doing a boot camp, you're going to need one or the other sometimes. Like I said, if you if you need to get that job quickly, then a boot camp might be a great way to do it because in a boot camp, you're also building that network like that I was talking about in traditional education, but faster. You don't have to waste that four years or not waste, but you do you know go through the four years. But if you have the time, then traditional education might be the way to go depending on what stage of the second career you were at. So 
if you're, again, if you're a self-learner, you might want to do a portfolio uh, because it's important to have kind of both. Like, and, and by the self, by doing the self-learning, you're building projects that can go into your portfolio. So they kind of feed off each other. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, is like the reason why we mentioned all, all of these different methods and that, and the different combinations is because, you know, it, we touched on this in the, in the last segment here, where it's just some sort of notes and stuff to clean up on, but you know, the, the, the persona, maybe the stereotype, maybe the, whatever you want to call it of like a web developer of like a person that's a tech professional is usually like one of it being like, you need to be, you need to be like, you need to be like online all the time. You need to be like taking pictures. You need to be like doing whatever. And you know, you don't want to get like caught up in that. Like you don't want to like worry about that. There's a lot of people that just sort of work in the background. And the reason why I say that is because you see a lot of learners that are learning sort of live, right? They post about their learnings. They talk about their learnings online all the time. They like post Instagram posts about it and all that's fine. If you're a person that wants to do that, you know, absolutely go ahead and do that. Um, but it, it's just, it's just one of those things where if you're going into your second career, you know, learn the way that you need to or want to or whatever, right? If you find a bunch of jobs out there that are, you find a bunch of jobs out there that are looking for, you know, whatever skill, Vue.js, you know, maybe you shouldn't be, you know, learning React. If you find a bunch of jobs out there and they all require a traditional education for whatever reason, then maybe you should be looking at a traditional education. Like, you need to be dynamic for yourself, whether you're being a self-starter or whatever, but you also need to be dynamic on the, the career, or the, uh, the, I guess it would be the career path that you're choosing. If you, if you really want to learn the latest whatever... And you look it up and it's like Vue.js is the the cutting edge leader in this. You don't want to go to the old guy, whoever it was. You know what I mean? You want to learn Vue.js then. Or maybe React is all about media or something. I'm just making stuff up. But it's like if you if you want to get into hardcore into media management and stuff like that and whatever. And like React has this new thing where it can like manage all this media stuff. You don't want to go to the old guy, right? So you have to sort of manage it and look it up yourself and that type of thing. And that's... That's sort of what I mean. And that's why we brought up all these different types is because it's important to kind of get into this. Like, it's important to know what path you don't have to go. Like Mike and I did not go to school for web development, but we end up being in this industry because it was a related thing. You know, that can happen too. that type of thing. So like make your, you know, make your own path, choose your own thing. Let your environment shape you as needed. You know, don't be super rigid, but don't be super flexible either. If you're a person that's like, the hell with this, I'm building this damn app, then go build the app. You don't have to go for four years of school then to th- only to then go build the app. You can start the app tomorrow with the My First App program on God knows how many services that allow you to do apps or how many, um, like, you know, Android or whatever. If you go to, I want to learn Android and it says My First App, you know, there's all these My First App problems or whatever they put together for, so you can get into it get into it, right? If, if that's what you want to do. But if you're a person that prefers to be well-informed before jumping in, then maybe maybe boot camp is, is good for you or self-learning is better for you or traditional education is better for you. So it really does, it really does depend. Um, and on my some notes, you know, really, really brief, uh, you know, avoid tutorial hell. Mike's talked, I uh, already touched on that. 
Uh, I already mentioned this as well, but don't get caught up in the persona of a te- of a tech professional from the perspective of social media. You know, you don't need to be an influencer to be in tech. If you're a person that doesn't know anything about tech, you might go looking us up, look looking like tech folk up, I guess. I don't really know what you call us, but tech folk, sure. Uh, you go looking us up on social media, and of course you're finding the social media personas. Like, we're one of them as well, right? We're like, that's, that's a part of what we do as well. Uh, and you don't have to be an influencer. There's tons and tons and tons and tons of developers that don't even have uh, social media accounts or they don't even talk about their job on social media, right? It's all personal stuff. And so they don't, they're not like an influencer type. So you don't have to be sort of in that zeitgeist. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't get into too many texts at once is another point here as well. You know, learn them as you need them. Don't learn view, then react, then jump back over to react native, then run over here and do something else. No, 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 no. Like don't go running around Learn them as you need them. Learn them as you want them. Don't go, don't go crazy. You're not going to know them all. It, there's no, there's just no chance. Also, if you're going for a traditional job um, or need to appeal to clients, you know, make sure that you look at what they want and learn from that. So, for example, if if you know if you're looking for a traditional job, and I already mentioned this, but if you're looking for a traditional job in your area and all the postings need Vue.js, then you probably should not be focusing on React because that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that <clears throat> I think that like just taking all this advice and obviously with a grain of salt, but not using it as a guide, like Matt was saying at the start of this. It's not a guide. It's it's a way for you to know that it's completely possible. If you're looking as as web development as a second career, it's completely possible and there are so many paths to it. And the experience that you have now is not thrown away. And look at all this free resources for you to learn. And look at this like you know, creating a project as being a, a passion project. Like, look at all these different things for you to do to create a second career for yourself and all these different paths you can take. And the web's not going away. Like, it's just not. Like, the web is only becoming bigger. It's becoming more robust. There's only becoming more complex projects with it. Like, people are trying to do their entire ecosystem in the web. A lot of companies have decided that, like, screw having, like, their own internal, uh, you know, application that they have to hire a developer to create that allows their users to sign in and, you know, go through their internal database. No, we're just going to do it on the web with web authentication and a back and a web backend. And then everyone, regardless of phone can access it and we can make a responsive, like there, there's so much opportunity to grab still. Like we're busy all the time. Matt and I are busy. We're trying to get the right clients at this point, not just any client. And it's absolutely possible for you to achieve that in a in a relatively short amount of time. Considering so, Mike and I didn't even have any business experience, to be fair. Exactly. We came out of college with zero experience in life whatsoever. So yeah, that I think that uh, that kind of sums that that up the second developer career. So let's go on right to the web news. So web news this week: Does the web suck in 2020? So this is a this is an interesting one because kind of kind of everything sucks in 2020. But does the web suck in 2020? Um, there was a Reddit post, another one of these kind of web news, where a person just kind of vented and said that they're just sick of the web in 2020. There's just so much crap out there, and it's just looking really dumb. Like I'll, I'll list a couple of the things that were said in the in the Reddit post, and also my own thoughts. But for instance, like boring and similar layouts, like all those websites that have that hero image and just a bunch of text on or like a bunch of three columns under it. That's like any product website ever out there right now um, is like that. Any new product website. 
tons of content that looks like content that is actually ads. This one is kind of a pet peeve of, pet peeve of mine when you're scrolling through a site and they have like, you know, articles, blog posts, and then all of a sudden in between, there's like a, a, a thing that looks like a blog post, but it's actually a uh, an ad and it's not labeled clearly as an ad. It's just, I don't know, like it's it, it feels sketchy, but you know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's one of those things that just that throws you off on a website. Now, granted, like it can be done in a, in a good way that benefits the the community that you're looking at because ads do generate revenue. And we'll talk about that aspect of everything, the monetization. Um, and then similar, similarly recommended sections. So I, I can't remember what they're called, Matt, those like rec- stories recommended for you on the web. What are they? There's like a name for I don't them, know what right? they're called, but I know that one big one is Tabula. Yeah, like the, the Tabula bottom sections of the web where it's like, here's a bunch of stories that might interest you that have nothing related to the nothing to do with the related story that you're that you're currently on. Like you can be on like a web development topic and they're talking about Look like at where this what, star is now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're not gonna believe these nine facts about this person. And like just like, you know, ridiculous thumbnails that have nothing to do with it and they just look really scammy. So there's a lot of that going on right now. Um, similar to that clickbait everywhere. Like every title of every blog post is clickbait. And there's a reason for that. Like a very logical reason. When people look at their analytics, when they type in, look where this star is now, they get a thousand percent more clicks than when they type in Angelina Jolie was in the shop on su- on Sunday. It's just, you know what I mean? Like that, it's just one of those obvious things. Like you're going to get a lot more clicks. So a lot of these things that we're going to talk about with the does the web suck are inherently driven because we as consumers of the web suck as well. That's how I'm, that's how I'm staging it. Like we suck, which makes the web suck. And I'm not directly pointing anyone out. Like there's a lot of people out there that are like refusing to, you're refusing to click on clickbait and stuff like that, but it doesn't matter because you're in the minority. The obvious minority, the majority it's, it's of like people, those people that leave Facebook, yeah. like I'm closing down Facebook and I have a thousand people that's going to do it with me. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Yeah. Like it's unfortunate because maybe there's a good reason to close down Facebook, but it's just, there's those little things like we suck as a, as, as a people that get content. That's why the news sucks. Like the news is constantly trying to get you to look at their stuff because if you don't look at their stuff, they don't get the money. So they can't pay their news reporters and they can't tell the news. There's no way, like, you know what I mean? Like it it is a business in the end, any news site, any tech blog, they're going to do as much as they can to get you to look at their stuff. And some of the stuff is going to be clickbaity. Like it's just part of it. It's just part of it. There's nothing, there's just nothing you can do about it. Uh, Cookie pop-ups of varying size and annoyance. Those are annoying. Like, please accept the cookies. I hate the one. Like, I, I, I don't mind it when they're like nice and elegant and small and fit into the website's design architecture. That's one thing. But when it's like a big red box that takes up the entire goddamn website, especially on mobile, the mobile the mobile ones are just brutal. Where it's just like I can see a little bit of the hero image, I can see the nav bar, and then I can see this massive pop up that's popping up with a button that says accept. Hate that. Uh, paywalls. There's a lot of websites now, news websites especially, where you have to pay to like read the next paragraph of an article. That's annoying, but it's there for a reason. It's annoying. Uh, weird controlled scrolling. So you go to a website and you want to scroll down, but it's, it doesn't. No, you don't want to scroll down. You want to go left. Okay. <laughs> you want to scroll down again. No, now you want to go up. 
Now you want to go right. Like they're controlling the way you wanted them to see, they want you to see the website. And they're doing these crazy animations to show that. But regardless, it's a little bit annoying when you're just trying to get to the end goal of the information that you're on there for. Autoplay videos that pop out when you scroll away. Annoying as heck. Like if I'm scrolling away from a video 99% of the time, and there are times when I want the video to follow me, 99% of the time I'm scrolling away because I don't want to see the video, especially when I've paused it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like there's all these websites that they scroll ads too. Like have you seen that before, Matt, where like you're oh, scrolling yeah, and there's scrolling. an ad. Yeah. yeah, there's an ad that uh, that starts playing and then you start scrolling away from the ad and it starts following you, like continuing to play. That's ridiculous. Uh, that's really annoying. Uh, delayed mo- module modals for subscription to newsletters. That's been around for a while, but it still kind of sucks. And notification requests. This one has been popping up a lot lately. Like almost every site I visit now is like, hey, can we send you notifications? No, I don't no, need notifications no, from the yeah. GMC site for the Tierra, Sierra, whatever well, truck. Don't you want to know no. when the new, the new GMC Sierra comes out? Like, I don't know what the, who's signing up for those notifications. Well, I mean, I'm sure, sure somebody does. Like, people sign up for stuff when, like, if they're a big fan of that news organization. But the fact, okay, the, the big point of all this in there, it, it, what I want to say is these are in there because people are using them. Yeah. People, like, the reason that there's a delayed modal for a subscription newsletter is that that converts more people than if you just put it at the bottom of your page or if you put it at the top yep. of your page. It's, it's a proven fact. You're not arguing with anyone. This is like a proven fact. This is something that people have shown with analytics time and time again. For some reason, people are like reading a website and all of a sudden they get this pop-up in their face, stopping them from reading. And they're like, yeah, I'm going to subscribe. I don't, I'm not one of those people. And neither probably are most of you listening to this, but the majority of people out there are okay with that. Well, that is probably because we're in our own industry. Like, if you're in tech in general, if you're into gaming, if you're if you if you're just using the web a lot, you don't even have to be professional in the space. Then a lot of this stuff doesn't work on you. But there's a lot of people out there that are not into this stuff. Like, there's there's gamers out there that don't read gaming news, for example, right? Like, it's those types of people that they're into something, so they do it, but they're not into it enough to like let it invade their lives. So like, for example, people will use the web just to their own devices. They don't, they don't like try to use it in any specific way. They're not optimizing their accounts. They're not making sure everything's all nice and like set up in their email. They're just using email because they have to, they're just using websites because they have to. And so they're uninformed and, or they actually think in this, like we all like, not we all, but me personally, I should say, I'm not signing up for any more newsletters because I don't friggin' open them. And I just ended up deleting them and they just get in the way and they constantly ding my phone. So then my phone dings become lesser. Like, so I stay away from those pop-ups. But for other people, they might say like, oh, I would like to, I would like to read this. And some people will, they'll just go on and be like, oh, I'll read this. I remember hearing people tell me that they get their news from Snapchat. Like there are people that I know that get, that get their news from Snapchat or like maybe not even news, but it's like, that's where they get their uh, sort of video content or they maybe even get their celebrity news on there or whatever. Like there are people out there that get their news on Snapchat. There are people that use the calling feature on Snapchat. There, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a whole different world out there. Like there's people sometimes where I'm like, hey, like can we go on WhatsApp or whatever? And they're like, what do you mean WhatsApp? Like what do you mean? 
and they have an iPhone and they don't even know they're using iMessage. So all they do is message. They they don't they do not know. They use a phone because that's how people communicate, and they were probably a late adopter, and they probably don't care about the phone. And if the phone were to disappear tomorrow, it would be like, oh damn, it was really convenient to talk on that thing, and that would have been that's quite literally it. And that, I think, is actually a very large majority of the population. If you're a person that's really busy and you're not working on... Actually, even if you are working on a computer every day, there's a lot of people that work on computers every day but are not technically savvy. They learned how to use this program and this program alone, and that's it. Accountants are an example of that. They might have to learn how to use QuickBooks or FreshBooks or God knows what else, and then that's what they use. They do not go and go crazy on the computer. Same with designers. Some designers are purely, purely, purely creatives and they have the Adobe Creative Cloud and they only use Adobe Creative Cloud and that's all they do. They don't mess around with anything else on the computer. They don't know how the registry works. They don't know how to fix stuff. They still go to the store for stuff. They like store for like the computer repair shop. I mean, for like really minor stuff, they do not look at, try to fix anything themselves. They don't troubleshoot. They don't do anything. There's a problem. They just deal with it or they have to go to a professional there. And that is a lot, a lot the majority. Of, the, of the people, because we understand and probably most of the listeners here understand generally how data works, for example. And that's how we're able to troubleshoot a lot of different things. We're not able to like fix someone's cable, but we generally understand what's happening with the data coming in through the cable line. But when it comes to somebody else, they don't have the background information. So their troubleshooting is like, well, I plug it into the wall before, maybe I'll try it again. And they plug it into the wall and it doesn't work. So it's like, now I got to call the cable guy. Whereas for us, we might be like, well, I wonder if the, you know, let, let's trace the cable a bit or something, right? There's a little, even if you're not a cable, like if you're not knowledgeable in like cable TV, I'm talking, you might go and look and make sure it's actually hooked up, right? You might check the bill. You might do whatever. Whereas a lot of people will just end up calling. They don't, they don't know. This is like this is a conversation I've had a few times with people where I said that I think it was 2015. I was like 2015 is the year in which like a lot of people started using cloud storage in my personal friend circle. 2015 ish, 20 like 13, 2015. That's when people started using cloud storage, even if they were not tech savvy. And I said that one of the best things about it is tech is getting easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. And everyone said, oh, IT is going to die. And I said, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, everyone hits the iCloud button. I know there isn't one literally called the iCloud button, but just bear with me. I'm like, everyone hits the, the iCloud button or the sync button or the cloud button. And when it says doesn't work, try again, they don't know anything else. Everyone's an expert until they're not, Right. You might know, I, I know how to back up my data. I always use Time Machine. I always use Time Machine. Time Machine throws an error, they're screwed. They're screwed. So they're an expert in using Time Machine, but they're not an expert in what is going on. And they all they know is that I want to make sure my data is safe. I want to make sure it's saved every hour or whatever Time, time Machine setup you have. I got to make sure that it's saved every hour or whatever. But the instant there's a problem, they're screwed. They don't know, they don't know what the hell's going on. And that's, yep. that's opens the door for more tech people because tech is becoming easier and you can do more complex things in the consumer space, but you still don't know how to troubleshoot it. People have been storing things on network drives on the internet for freaking years. Websites are just a whole bunch of files thrown together that end up executing in a certain way. So people have been using quote unquote cloud storage for a very long time. But 2013, 2015, again, just in my personal friend circle is when people really started using it. And I remember in college, when I used SkyDrive, I felt weird. I didn't have a USB stick. I used SkyDrive and it was like, ooh, like, I don't know if I can rely on this. 
that was how I had, that's why that's how things were when we were in college. That was not that long ago. Now I cloud everything. I felt weird today because I had a meeting and I had my meeting notes in my documents folder and I immediately clouded it because I was scared to do that. And literally five, five to seven years ago, I felt weird about using cloud storage. So you have, so the, the idea and the complexity of everyday electronics and consumer stuff is rising but its ease of use is is increasing you know cloud storage was available for experts now it's available for consumers but the same problems can hit them both yep absolutely uh and that that's those are all really good points one, one thing i want to mention is the the iMessage thing um have you had a situation and this is ridiculous but i've had this happen to me where Someone was legitimately shocked that uh, you were a green bubble instead of a blue bubble. Yep. And just to explain where blue bubbles are people that have iMessage, therefore have an iPhone and are communicating between each other, they become blue in the text messaging app or in the iMessage app. If you're not in the iOS ecosystem, so if you're an Android phone, for instance, uh, and you send them a message through text, they'll get a green bubble with your message. And I've legitimately had a situation where someone was like shocked, called me, called, asking called me, you, called me, asking me why I'm a green bubble and asking me if I'm trying to scam them because <laughs> my bubble is not green. And I, I was, I was flabbergasted. I was like, I don't know. Like I, I'm using an Android. They're like, what is that? Like, and I'm like, well, you're using an iPhone. They're like, well, I don't know. Like I'm just using this, the, the phone. So it's it's one of those things like they don't care like they don't in their mind they're just if something is working that's all they care about and that's the majority like the very large majority of people and that's why these things that I was mentioning the why does the web stop that's why this works because when people scroll down and they see that Angelina like some star is is like you know in a, in an outhouse and in the middle of nowhere and the 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 clickbait title is like you're not gonna believe. You what ain't this gotta believe this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're gonna click on it. They do. I mean, I'm gonna click on There's it sometimes. There's a reason why they're there. I'm, I'm, I would click on it sometimes. It's clickbait. Like, so I know the clickbait gets me sometimes, but it's like yeah. everything has to be written in a clickbaity way, even if it isn't. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, even, exactly. if, even if the, the actual title is legitimate, you try to think of the most grabbing title. And yeah. I think we've boiled that down to a science to the point where that's why clickbait's the way it is. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon either. So, like, whether that makes the web suck or not, it's definitely not going away. The, the, all of these things, like all of the things that I mentioned are not going away. Like, oh, okay, weird con controlled scrolling, that might be a fad. Stuff like I that might go away. I actually haven't seen away. that since last year, personally. Okay, so yeah, maybe it is going away already, exactly. So, it's, it's, not, it's not as popular. Um, Cookie pop-ups might become refined. Like, there may, there may become a thing, because it's starting to get, like... Well, to be fair, like, just as a tip out there there is an extension out there that will disable most of them interesting it's like an allow all essentially so and that's helped me on my desktop but again on the mobile experience it's still terrible the mobile experience in general for the web is really bad because of all this stuff like because there's an ad that takes up 90 percent of the space because they're not respond as responsive as regular content because they're being brought in dynamically like you don't really have control over the ads as right. much as you do your own content so the ads are always going to be taking up a weird amount of space on your website um, or they're going to be crop. I don't think you can even crop ads. Like they don't just. Well, don't it depends allow on the it. ad service and stuff. Like true, yeah. 
But regardless, like ads are always going to be really shitty on the mobile experience. There's no ad blockers on mobile. Not that like I support them in, in, in most, in most cases, but regardless, like the mobile experience is diminished because of that. And we're always like, Matt and I always talk about mobile first. A lot, a lot of the websites we build are mobile first, depending on the audience. Or at least like mobile equivalent. Yeah. Mobile equivalent where all your information you can get on the desktop, you can get on the mobile experience. Um, but a lot of these other places like mobile is a, is a gold mine because as you're scrolling through, you can accidentally tap on an ad. If it's big enough, you're going to be scrolling through that ad for like half an hour. That's a lot of time looking at the ad. I think you can measure that. Like stuff like that, like the, the mobile stuffing as much ads and as much clickbait titles into the mobile experience exposes them even more because it's more focused. So that's why that kind of stuff is going to happen. And it's not going anywhere. Like Matt said, stuff, all these things are there because someone did an analysis, AB testing, whatever, being like, hey, let's put a, a, a good logical title or this ridiculous title that is, you know, going to doesn't really make sense to the article. And they realize that the, the title that doesn't make sense to the article is going to get a thousand percent more clicks. So that's, they're never going to change their ways because, and, and there's nothing where you can really do other than the fact that we can contribute at least to the point where we at least make it reasonable. So instead of having an ad on every page or an ad on every spot on the page, we can, you know, take it, taper it down. We can, we can get good ads. Maybe another, that's another thing. Like I, I feel like advertisement is kind of a lost art where a really good ad can do a lot more than a million bad ads. Like I remember watching, you know, a lot of, there's a lot of Super Bowl commercials back in the day that were really freaking good. And I enjoyed watching them. Nowadays, it's kind of getting, it's kind of a shit show. But back in the day, it was, there was a few commercials out there that was like, holy crap, those are really good. Like someone, someone spent millions of dollars on this to create a really good commercial. I remember we we were watching the Super Bowl like a year or two ago and I can't even remember what the hell the ad was, but I remember all of us in the room were like, was that a real ad? Like, it was so weird. It yeah. was, like, so, like... I think it was supposed to catch us off guard. It wasn't, like, low quality. It just seemed out of character or something. I can't even remember what the ad was, but I remember that, like, response. I was like, what the hell was that? Yeah. The hell did we just watch? And that's what they want. Like, well, they probably want you to remember what I don't what remember what it about. was, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you're not giving them any service. But regardless, that's what they would... Like, they're looking for that, like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Or maybe I remembered watch? it for a year or something, though. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that that was something. But, like, I think there's a way for us to build a better web while still conforming to these habits. Like, these... Like, we know that these habits work. So, but, but there is a way for us to be better. And to be fair, like Matt and I, we don't contribute a lot to this. I mean, the HTML of things website will have ads. Um, we'll try to keep them as respectful as possible. That's it. I'm putting pop-ups they, every couple of seconds. Yeah. They're going to be ads. Like as far as I know, we're not doing a delayed modal for a subscription yet. Um, I think, I don't think we ever will because our audience wouldn't, wouldn't tolerate it. That's a thing. Like our audience is different. We're not we're not appealing to the general public. We're appealing to web developers that know all this shit. So we have to kind of get around it in different ways. We have to we have to monetize. We have to think about it differently than a regular company. Like we can't you know we can't monetize the same way. It's just not it's just not going to happen. So that's that's another discussion that we'll have, and that might be another episode that we can talk about. Yeah, I mean. I don't know what to say. It's a it's a difficult thing. Like, it's always the fight, and I always tell customers this. I'm like, it's always the fight of, like, UI versus UX. Like, do you want to have a really good UX? 
if that's the case, then your UX is very forgettable sometimes. So it's like one of those things where, you know, oh, this website was super smooth, but it's so smooth that you don't really notice it. You went there, grabbed your information and left, especially if it's like a website where maybe you're researching and you find them and then that's all you use them for. You don't like stick around. And then you have that weird problem of, you know, now no one signed up for the newsletter, the conversions are going down. And like at the end of the day, it's like annoy the users but still have them show up or don't and and they make us more money or don't annoy the users and then we eventually shut down and that's sort of sometimes where the where it lies you know that's how some mailing lists are made that's how some stuff is done although i mean as people just naturally become more tech savvy i think that we're just going to see a natural evolution of tech uh to be honest i think we're going to see a We've already seen a rise in short-form content as well as long-form content, though, as well. People always mention the short-form content, but we have a rise in one-hour, you know, YouTube videos people watch. Uh, we have a rise in 20-minute YouTube videos that people watch and those type of things. And you, depending on what you consider long-form or short-form, you know, TikTok is where you get the short-form stuff. But the long, but YouTube is still where the long-form stuff is. And I think that it's because we're seeing a melding of the different markets, maybe, or whatever you want to whatever you want to call it and slowly but surely like things will iron themselves out i think just literally because people if they're annoyed by those pop-ups they will stop responding to the pop-ups and i don't see any person that at least in our experience that wants to have those pop-ups that wants to have a paywall that wants 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 now paywalls are different slightly because they're news sites so like you're effectively instead of paying for the newspaper in some cases you're paying for you know, the digital newspaper and that. And so there's a bit of a difference there. Uh, that's one thing. And it makes it annoying to share and view on social media, but it's like, realistically speaking, you're not entitled to that article anyway. And, you know, you don't want to start, you know, th there's a big conversation in terms of that. Although Mike's right, it's just annoying. Like it is annoying whether, like it's annoying to have to pay for groceries too. I mean, but, uh, you know, it's just annoying to have to pay for it basically is all I'm trying to say. Uh, so that's, you know, whatever cookie pop-ups, I, I fully firmly believe are going to become something else. Like there's probably going to end up being a browser solution. Like the, the browsers will probably end up having some sort of standard that they have to put in where it'll allow, like, it'll have like a cookie control and then you'll do it in your browser. Just sort of like how that Mike's saying with that extension thing, like maybe it'll be like a more official standard that rolls out those type of things. You gotta remember that even, you know, just a few years ago, and I don't mean literally three, but like not that long ago, we didn't have responsive websites. Now we got websites that go all the way down to friggin' phone sizes that are tiny, we, and, we, and we're starting to miss, we're starting to lose mobile sites as a result. You know how, like, people would have a desktop site, and then a separate mobile site at a separate subdomain. Those, you know, they're still around, those are starting to disappear, and you're starting to get one site that just changes to the point. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's that as well, and that's a big, that's a big proponent. You have... Like, you have stuff that's going to happen. Techno Buffalo, I remember, had a, a real ad problem. Ads freaking all over the place. And then I remember they had to go through some iterations. They ended up fixing some stuff. I don't really read them all that often, so I don't know where their status is now. But I do know that people got pissed off and the ads were adjusted, right? So it's just sort of like a self-policing thing. Uh, another thing I will say, though, is from a web developer perspective is in terms of the sameness of the web, of different websites, that, you know, this is a natural progression. People, when they come to a web developer, do not know what they want. And so they'll usually come to them with maybe it, or maybe what it is they want is what someone else has. So they go, oh, I like this person's site. I want my site to look like this. And then that, you know, sort of sameness spreads. But it also comes from people saying, I don't know what I want at all. 
And then people like Mike and I will be like, oh, do you want a marketing site? Do you want a business card site? Do you want a three-column site? What do you want type of thing? And when they choose one, I'm not going to object and be like, no, let's make it revolutionary because that's all that's going to do is crank the budget up, lessen our chances of getting the job, you know, so it's just like a realistic part of it. So a lot of this stuff is rooted in realism. The pop-ups, the cookie stuff for privacy and whatever else laws out there, you know, boring and similar layouts are already rooted in there. Tons of content that looks like content is actually ads, that type of stuff. Like uh, the the whole like tabula thing at the bottom, a lot of those things, or at least the one that I've used in the past, is because when people click on a, let's say like we have a blog post with one of them on it. When you click, you get like a virtual token and then your site story may get listed on somebody else's tabula. That's how that works. So it's like free advertising via like, oh, you're generating views for the platform. So then you end up getting views from the platform, et cetera. And it's like a back and forth. I don't know. I never used Taboola to be totally clear. I assume, I assume that's how Taboola works, but I used a similar thing to Taboola, like the little widget thing. And that's how that one worked with the, with the token system. So I assume other ones do it as well. Although I do, we have a couple of clients that obviously have blogs and they don't want them. So like, I can't tell you what the modern because this was a few years ago now. I can't tell you what the modern thing is for that. And notifications, same same thing too. Notifications is a new thing on the web. People are like, oh my God, people aren't going to be installing mobile apps anymore. We have to desperately, desperately, desperately get ourselves into our notifications. And that'll end up just fading away, I think. Because to be totally honest, like maybe it's just because I've denied everybody, but I'm seeing less and less of them. But again, it might be due to me denying them. Because I've been getting less spam calls ever since I started blocking people. So <laughs> just blocking numbers. So that's just how... Uh, that's just how that goes. So I think it's just the natural progression of things. It's just because things became fast with social media. And so we got a whole bunch of this stuff. And then now governments are starting to get involved. That Hence the cookie pop-ups. But once we start realizing, you know, okay, maybe the government can go to the browser people, the browser developers and the browser people. And uh, they can, uh, they can like go to them and say, hey, we would like some privacy controls. And like, I'm sure the browser folk can be like, yep, you know, we'll put these in, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm sure it's going to become fine like like and to be clear i'm sure something else horrible is going to show up (laughs) right like we think this stuff is horrible something else horrible is going to show up a lot of this stuff is within the last five years last 10 years a lot of horrible stuff's gonna gonna show up in the future it's gonna be like weird like tiktok videos you have to watch before opening sites or some crazy thing just some i don't know making stuff up but you know what i mean those type of things so i think i think it's gonna iron itself out i don't think it's too big of a deal and i got used to it and uh block all notifications forever as uh, i do <laughs> yep. Uh but yeah. I don't know if you have anything that, else to add, Mike, but I think that was a good summary. That's kind of very similar to how I feel. All right. Well, uh unless I think I may have just ask this and I may be having deja vu. Do you have anything else runner to up. add before runner I run up, the Matt. conclusion? Runner up. I was really hoping you were gonna stay that conclusion. before I made a fool of myself. Nope. But anyway, fuck Yeah. Me. I want I wanted you to make a fool of yourself. <sighs> Remember, we're on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HTML, all the things. So check out those tiers and give that a go. And many thanks to our $3 tier patron, Sean from RabbitWorks JavaScript via YouTube.com slash RabbitWorks JavaScript, Garrick from Local Path Computing and Web Design via LocalPathComputing.com, Ryan Gatchel from Blue Black Digital via BlueBlackDigital.com, Chris from Selfmade Web Designer via SelfmadeWebDesigner.com, Tim from The Web Hacker via TheWebHacker.com, DL Ford from DLFord.io, and Bib Hashdash from Twitter via at Bib hashdash leave a comment or review on the platform that you are listening to this on and this outro will sign us off you've been listening to html all the things podcast web development 
web design, and small business. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. And we hope you appreciate that we talk to you like human beings. And we hope you had some fun. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at HTML All The Things. And on Twitter at HTML Everything. Until next time, this is HTML All The Things. Signing off.